welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. Matthew 18, starting in verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused, and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Father, that is the prayer of our hearts. Lord, every bit of that prayer is something that's on our minds today. Lord, we are so thankful that you are the God in heaven. You are the one who reigns. You are the one who we can call upon as our own Father reigning in heaven, and we do. We ask that you would hallow your name. We ask that your name would be praised and holy in the world. We pray, Lord, that your glory would fill the world. We pray that your kingdom would come. We pray that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. As we look at the events around the world, even in our own lives, even in our own hearts, we we want, Lord, for your will to be done in us, in our lives, city, in our place, and in the world. We want your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we know, Lord, that that prayer will be answered, that you will come and set all things right. And so we just pray, Lord, that you would come and that you would do that work. 
We pray, Lord, also that you would give us this day our daily bread. We pray even as we're right now about to open your word, we pray that you would give us bread in your word, that you would fill us with good things. The, the mouths of our hearts are open, and we desire to, to hear from you. We desire to be changed by you. We desire our affections to be renewed by you, and we pray that you would do it, Lord. You've been so faithful to do it. Every time we gather, we ask for it again. We also pray, Lord, that you would forgive us our debts as we've forgiven our debtors. That's a harder one to pray, Lord. We, we know that we struggle with forgiving others. We pray, Lord, as we're in this passage and looking at forgiveness, we just pray, Lord, that you would change that, that you would free us in, in ways that are, that are new and even surprising to us, Lord, that we would be just able to forgive those around, that we would re-gift the, the blessings of the gospel to others. We pray, Lord, too, lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil, Lord. We, we know this world is filled with temptations for us. Some of us have given in to them in great ways this week. And we pray, Lord, that you would help to untangle us from the sin that so easily ensnares us. We pray, Lord, that you would deliver us from evil ultimately by the final defeat and removal of the enemy from this world and the making of all things new. And we do recognize that yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And we pray that as we gather tonight, we think about the gospel, we think about the work of Jesus. We pray that you would give all glory to your son, Jesus. None for us, all for him, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. So tonight we're taking a little branch out from uh, Romans, and we're going to be here in Matthew 18. And the, the topic is peacemaking and forgiveness. And for those of you guys who have been with us for a few years, you probably already have heard this from me. But this is such an important topic that it's, it, we do it every single year. So if you guys have been with us five years, you've been through this at least five times. Some of you guys can probably sing along, and that's great. Because what we want to do, guys, we want to equip you guys for ministry. And this particular thing is an incredible equipping for ministry. We want to go over this topic, and it's so important because we need to think about peacemaking and forgiveness because we will sin against each other, right? In this church, we're going to sin against you. I'm going to sin against you. You're going to sin against me. It's going to happen. You hear people say things like, oh, they call themselves a church and Christians, and, you know, look at how they're sinning against each other. And it's like, what's the surprise here? Okay, we actually gather together as redeemed sinners, as those who have sinned greatly and we are saved by God's grace. And so we're going to sin against each other. We have to be very realistic about it. This is not a no sin zone. I wish it were. Um, that's coming someday, but it's not here yet. And the other reason why that's important is that we sin against each other. And Jesus said, we looked at it last week, that our visible love and unity for one another is how the world knows that we're Christians and how the world knows that Jesus truly is the Messiah. There's a lot riding on our unity. There's a lot riding on our love. And yet we sin against each other. So we need to be prepared and equipped to make peace, to preserve the love and unity that we have. And I really want us guys to be the kind of church, and I think we are already, but I think more and more we need to be the kind of church that's not afraid of conflict. Okay? We shouldn't be afraid of conflict. We should see conflict. We should see disagreement as an opportunity for the gospel to work among us. Right? Amen? It's an opportunity for the gospel to shine. Uh, the purpose of our church, if you look on our website, is we exist to display and declare the good news of Jesus for the glory of God and the joy of all people. That's why we exist. And peacemaking and forgiveness is an amazing way to display and declare the gospel. And so in this passage in Matthew 18, I see four things we're going to look at about forgiveness. And the four things are forgiveness is required of Christians. Forgiveness is the goal of peacemaking. 
Forgiveness is a promise and a process, and forgiveness is regifting the gospel. So that's what we're going to do tonight. First one is forgiveness is required. Followers of Jesus are required to forgive one another. If you look at verse 21 again in Matthew 18 there, take a look at it. Peter asked Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Seven times? You know, you say in the South is like, bless your heart, you know? Seven times? He's willing to go seven, which is more than many of you are, right? He's willing to go seven with them. And Jesus says, I do not say seven times, 77 times. Some of you say 70 times seven. Either way, it's a lot more than seven. Followers of Jesus are required to forgive one another. And forgiveness, I don't know if you guys realize this, has become a lot more controversial in our culture. Okay? Our culture is actually somewhat offended by the idea of radical forgiveness. When we see high-profile cases where there's some terrible thing that occurs and the offended party says, I'm a Christian, I'm just going to forgive them, a lot of times the reaction of the world is quite negative. You know, that to forgive somebody, to completely let them off the hook for wrongdoing is actually seen as another act of injustice. You know, you shouldn't let people off. Our culture, as it loosens from its Christian foundations, is actually becoming more and more vengeful. I don't know if you've noticed, but it's becoming more and more vengeful. To totally release somebody from their sin debt is seen as kind of letting evil win. You know, if you were to forgive this, you're just letting evil win. Whereas Jesus tells us that this is one of the ways that evil is overcome by good. So forgiveness is an area where we really have an opportunity to be very unique in our culture, actually. We really practice this. It is very different than your neighbor. It's very different than the culture. You know, sometimes we're like, how, how can we stand out? You know, this is one way to really stand out. Our culture finds it offensive, though. Uh, Christians often find forgiveness optional. You know, Christians have the feeling sometimes of, you know, forgiveness is good. You know, if you feel like you can do it and you feel like the person deserves it, but it's not really required. That's the vibe I get sometimes, right? It's like, it's good to forgive somebody if you can, if they deserve it, if you think you can do it, but it's not required. But this is one of the things that Jesus insisted on so strongly. There's few things he insisted on more than his disciples have to forgive one another. Verse 22, Jesus says, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. And the whole point of that parable at the end, the unforgiving servant, which we're gonna look at, is that the unforgiving servant isn't saved. The unforgiving servant is a lost person because that person doesn't know how to forgive. And did you notice in the prayer that we prayed, even embedded in the Lord's prayer is that we have to forgive one another. Remember it said, forgive our debts as we also forgive our debtors. You guys ever choke over that one when you're praying the Lord's prayer? You're like, I think I want more forgiveness than I give other people. But he said, the prayer is specifically, Lord, forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And I would just say in my 31 years of being in the church, not this one, but being in the church, I have had mostly good experiences, by the way, actually really good experiences in 31 years. But one thing I've seen is that this command to forgive is unevenly obeyed, let's say. I I've seen a lot of members leave churches because they just couldn't forgive one another. I've seen a lot of leaders hold resentment against other leaders and resentment against their members. We're not interested in doing that here, right? We don't want to do that here. We want to see the, the gospel actually work in us. We want to see radical forgiveness. And so that's why we're going through this, is that forgiveness, guys, is required. Secondly, forgiveness is the goal of peacemaking. When we think about trying to make peace with one another, the goal is to get to forgiveness. There is no true peace amongst us unless there's true forgiveness. Um, that's true of our relationship with God, that we have no peace with God unless we have forgiveness. And it's true of our relationship with each other. We don't have peace until we have 
true forgiveness. Now, if, if you don't have forgiveness, you, you might have a ceasefire, but you don't have peace. Those are different. You know, biblical peacemaking is all about getting to forgiveness. So what is forgiveness? I'm glad you asked. What does it look like to truly forgive someone? You don't assume you know. Because, you know, you hear people and you say, like, you know, they'll tell you something and you go, you know, I really think, man, I really think at some point, I mean, it, it might be a process or whatever, I think you just need to forgive him. And the person will say, oh, I forgive him. And I'm like, oh, well, I'm not getting the forgiveness vibe from you right now, you know, especially the way you said it. I forgive him, but I hate that guy, you know, like, okay, that's not forgiveness, right? That's not forgiveness. So what is true forgiveness? True forgiveness is patterned after the gospel. Ephesians 4.32 says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Notice the as. For our forgiveness is a re-gifting, basically, of the forgiveness we've received from Jesus. And I want to get really specific with you because I want to kind of corner you. I want to trap you in an area where you have nowhere to move and you know exactly what forgiveness is. So look on the back of this sheet. This peacemaking sheet, if you don't have one right next to you, there's going to be gap areas where you could find it. But on the back of the sheet, what you have is four promises of forgiveness right here. And you can see from these verses, these promises of forgiveness are just like Ephesians 4.32 says, they're based on the gospel. So if we're going to forgive one another as God in Christ forgave us, when I forgive you, I'm making you these four promises. And the four promises are these. I will not dwell on the incident. Okay? You forgive somebody, you're promising not to dwell on the sin that they've sinned against you. This is a beautiful mirror of the gospel because God says, I will remember your sin no more, right? And you think, well, does God, is he able to forget things? He doesn't really forget it. What does he do? He doesn't call it to mind. He doesn't think about it. He doesn't dwell on it. When he thinks of your name, he doesn't think of your list of sins. Isn't that amazing? When your name comes up, the file's like Christ's righteousness. It's not a list of your rap sheet because I was nailed to the cross. So I won't dwell on this incident anymore. If I forgive you, I'm giving you that promise. Second one, I will not bring up this incident and use it against you. There's a great one in marriage. A lot of times we hang on to some ammo for next time. You know, we say we forgave and then it's like, you always do this. Remember when you did it in 1997? Do you remember when you did it in 2001? It's like, no, I don't remember any of that. But trust me, you did, you know? If we're forgiving someone, it's as if it never happened. Isn't that great? That's the way it is in the gospel, is if we forgive somebody, we're going to treat him as if it never happened. Next one, I will not talk to others about this incident. Aren't you thankful that God made that promise to you? That he's not like, you won't believe what this guy did, you know, to some of your friends or something. Now, the people in the Bible, like in the Old Testament stuff, didn't really apply to them so much, right? Like Jonah's sins written down and all that. But, but this is a promise he makes to us. I will not talk to others about this incident. So if we're bringing it up, I had a friend, you know, years ago, and he's telling me all the stuff his wife did. And I said, it sounds like you need to come to a place of forgiveness. He goes, oh, I forgave her. And I go, why are we talking about it then? Like, it seems like you're bringing it up for a reason. I'm so fun. Next one. <laughs> I will not allow this incident to stand between us or hinder our personal relationship. And so that would be whatever relationship is legitimate. It might be that there was some sin that happened. That relationship shouldn't be there. But whatever relationship is, is biblical, you will not allow it to hinder your relationship. Isn't that clarifying? I mean, this is so worth taping to your fridge, teaching to your children, you know, memorizing it yourself. Keep it with you. Forgiveness is the goal of peacemaking. What we want to get to in a peacemaking process is uh, a confession of sin and a granting of forgiveness. Probably both directions. You say, well, what is a confession? I'm glad you asked. It's right here. Seven A's of a confession. Here they are. When you confess your sin to another person, you, they tell you how you've wronged them and you want to confess your sin to them. Seven A's. 
address everybody involved, avoid if, but, and maybe, that's a good one, you know, you ever, you know, hey, I'm really sorry that I, you know, I was yelling, but you know, you were pretty annoying. Okay, so you're confessing your sin, not theirs. You see what I just did there? I confess my sin and your sin. You're not supposed to do that, okay? No if, but, or maybe. It's no, you know, hey, you know, I'm sorry if that really hurts you, and she's crying. It's, it hurt her. There's no if needed there. So no if, but, or maybe. Hey, I'm sorry, you know, maybe that was a little out of line. That's not a confession of sin. We see this with politicians a lot, right? You know, I regret that that bothered anyone, you know? Like, that's not a confession, okay? When you confess sin, you eat dirt. You eat it. It's your sin. You're not confessing the other person's sin. You're, you're eating dirt. Admit specifically. Use biblical language. This is great. When you confess your sin, use a Bible sin, okay? Don't just say, I've been kind of edgy lately. You know, like that's maybe in the Message Bible, but it's not in my ESV, you know? So you want to confess something like edgy. You were probably angry. You were probably impatient. You were probably malicious. Like, there's lots of good Bible words for this. Use a Bible word because you're confessing sin and you want forgiveness for your sin. So name one. Name a sin. Okay, next one. And by the way, these are not so you can judge the other person's confession. Okay? You know, your wife's confessing sin and you're like, mm, two out of three, you're not so good. No, this is for you, okay? This is not for using other people. I know how you work, you people. Acknowledge the hurt, right? So express sorrow for acknowledge the hurt. Accept the consequences. That might be making some sort of restitution. Alter your behavior. That's your attitudes and actions. And then ask for forgiveness. It's really important that when someone confesses their sin, that they say, do you forgive me? Because you don't want this whole thing to end in like, don't worry about it or, you know, it's okay. It's not okay. I sinned against you. This isn't okay. I don't want to hear you're okay. I want to hear I'm forgiven, right? I want to be released from my debt. I want to be truly forgiven. And so you want to end with that or a total release of debt. If you're on the other side, the person actually granting forgiveness, let's be the kind of people that make very clear that we really did release the other person from their debt. For example, spouses, really forgive your spouse. No cold shoulder, no silent treatment. God doesn't do any of that to us. If you've really forgiven your spouse, there's not going to be any of that. Make sure they know with your kids. Make sure they know that you really forgave them, right? So, you know, if they confess their sin, make it really clear that they're forgiven. Tell them they're forgiven. Make sure that they know that you're going to treat them as if it never happened. Because what you're showing them is the kind of love that they receive in the gospel from Jesus. It's as if it never happened. If your kid brings it up later, hey, I'm really sorry about that. Hey, we talked about it. It's as if it never happened. You're releasing them from their debt. Because I know as parents, we can kind of, hey, I forgive you, you're okay, but they're not okay, and they know it. You know, we kind of give off that vibe that they need to earn back our favor, and that's not what we want to do in the gospel. So forgiveness, the goal of forgiveness is the goal of peacemaking. And there's, there's a way to cheat on this, and I want to show you. It's called the slippery slope. It's right here in your handout. There's a slippery slope. I did not make this, by the way. It wouldn't have been this nice. The slippery slope. So in the middle here, all these uh, blue areas, these are all biblical responses, you know, biblical ways to seek peace. You're getting to, you know, confession and forgiveness. The ones on this side here are escape responses. So this is trying to like avoid conflict. They're trying to avoid the conflict. We call that escape responses. They're things like denial. They're things like flight, things like suicide. These are all escape responses to conflict. We have on the other side attack responses. We have assault, litigation, murder, okay? These are all things we shouldn't do on the two sides. The one side is peace faking, 
okay? Escape is peace faking. How many peace fakers do we have here? You'd rather just like not acknowledge it, maybe go into some denial, slink away, like maybe just kind of disappear from their lives, right? It's a little bit better there. That's peace faking. Some of us are peace breaking. You know, I don't probably want to raise hands for this. Some of you guys are like assault, litigation, you know, murder, you know, stuff like that. You know, you could go that route too. But what we want to do is we pursue peace is we want to not fake it or break it. We want to what? Make it. Yes. <laughs> Peacemaking. All right, good. That's not on the handout, but I'm going to tell the guy. That would be great. So imagine you have a conflict with somebody here in this church, and you have really two routes to go. And I have this cool diagram. It's not in your handout, but I will email it to you. It's going to be on here, but it's going to be incredibly small. It looks great to me. So there's two major pathways you can go. On the top box, it says overlook. On the box over here, it says confront. And so it's like a flow chart. I made this. I did, really. It doesn't print well up here, but I will send it to you guys over email. And so we're going to look through this flowchart and see, like, what should we do? So we have two responses in the beginning. The first one is to overlook it. When somebody sins against you, your first question should be, can I just overlook this? Okay. There's a proverb for that. Proverbs uh, 19.11 says, good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. That's one option is to overlook it. We're going to look on which one you should do with this little flow chart. Okay. The other option is to confront it. Sometimes we have to confront a person as described in Matthew 18, 15 through 17. And so when you're first sinned against, your first question you should ask yourself is not how should I retaliate or what should I do? First one is, can I overlook this? Should I overlook this? A lot of sins should be overlooked. What is overlooking? Overlooking is when you overlook someone's sin, it means that you consciously decide to make those four promises of forgiveness without bringing it up. So you're going to grant them these four promises of forgiveness without even confronting them, without thinking about it, you're going to, it's gone, right? And this is a really good route to take a lot of the time. Like, especially in marriage, like we see all of our sins of our spouse and stuff like that. We don't want to confront every single thing. It would be so cumbersome, right? to do that, you know, a lot of times we're going to overlook things. How do we know whether to overlook or not? Well, first place to start before we even get in this flow chart is if it's a crime, this is like sexual abuse, physical abuse. If it's a crime, you need to report it to the police. Okay. Like that's pretty straightforward. We're going to see in a couple of weeks, Romans 13, that God says that the government, the authorities, they are God's ministers of justice for that purpose. And so if somebody's committed a crime against you, we're not talking about overlooking, confronting all that stuff. You, you know, that can happen later, but that needs to be reported. Okay. But let's assume it's not a crime. The next thing is, how do we know if we should overlook another person's sin? First question to ask is, is it a habitually destructive sin? Is this something that's destructive ongoingly to their relationships, you know, to their witness in the community? Is this something that really has to be confronted because of the destructive thing is happening? Everybody sins. We sin all the time, but some sins are repetitive and something that we really need to confront. So that's the first one. Is it a habitual sin? Yes, then confront. No, come down on the next one. Can you forgive now? Can you give those four promises of forgiveness? You need to really ask yourself when you're saying, I'm going to overlook the sin of another person, that you're not just denying it or you're not just like fooling yourself that you're really forgiving it. And when we think about whether to overlook a sin or not, you need to really think, beware, guys, of bitterness. If you're getting bitter, you have not forgiven somebody, okay? Bitterness is unforgiveness. They are one and the same thing. Bitterness is also poison, total poison. You guys know that. You know, there's that old saying that bitterness is drinking poison, hoping to harm another, right? 
And I was talking to a guy in our church just like last week, and he was talking about all these chronic diseases that he believes stemmed from his bitterness towards a family member. And when he had made peace, like a lot of things started to change because bitterness is poison. Bitterness is a trap. You know, in South Africa, Nelson Mandela, he was imprisoned for 27 years unjustly. 27 years unjustly. And as he was coming out of prison, this is what he said about his day coming out of prison. He said this, as I walked out the door towards the gate that would lead to my freedom, I knew that if I didn't leave my bitterness and hatred behind, I'd still be in prison. Amen? Bitterness is, is a prison. Bitterness is a sign that we haven't truly forgiven someone and that we need to confront them. And so if you find that you need to confront this person, either it's a habitual sin that's destructive or you're just not able to really forgive them, it's embittering you, then what we need to do is go to the other side of this chart, confront it. And Matthew 18 has this beautiful, Jesus has this beautiful, simple process by which we confront one another. And I know in recent days, people don't want to do this. I don't know why. They're like, oh no, not Matthew 18, not this time. It's like, like it doesn't apply to anything anymore. And I'm like, it does though. <laughs> this is important. We need to use it. Jesus said, he says this, if your brother sins against you, this is what to do. So here, let's look at it. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. This is verse 15. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. So the first thing we need is confront the person alone. Guys, by the way, in this process, gossip is not allowed at any point in this process. I'm thankful that this is not a church that's gossipy, which is a blessing. And we're not allowed to gossip at any point. He says, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And then he says, if he listens, you've gained your brother, you've gained your sister. Your goal in confronting a person is not to retaliate or ventilate or just let them have it. Your goal is reconciliation. You want to win them back. And if you go with that attitude, it goes a lot better, right? Like, I want to win this back. This relationship is important to me. And we want, and when we go to confront somebody, we want actually to make peace with them by extending forgiveness to them. Don't forget, our whole goal is to get to the four promises of forgiveness. If you're going to somebody with that purpose of like, I really want to give these to you, but I'm having a really hard time and I need to confront you, that's a whole different spirit, right? I want to give you these promises. And so what we're looking for is confrontation, confession, forgiveness. If, the, if it doesn't work to just go alone, you can see the next step. If the two of you can't resolve it on your own, next step is in verse 16. But if he doesn't listen to you, take one or two others along with you that the charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. This is really cool because Jesus wants to keep this particular sin as small as possible for as long as possible. Isn't that merciful? It's not like, hey, we've all been talking about your sin and now we've come to have an intervention. No, it's like one person, two more. It's to keep it as small. It's very merciful and it's way more likely to work. Sometimes guys, this is called conflict coaching. Conflict coaching is the idea that like you're in a conflict with another believer in the church and another believer or two come in to like help you, to coach you, to help you get to the place of forgiveness. And I took a multi-day training on this about 10 years ago with the same ministry that makes this pamphlet. It was like three-day thing. They would talk. I just thought it was going to be a bunch of lectures. It was role-playing. I was like, how do I not come back tomorrow? You know, but there was no way it was like be shameful. And I went with a friend and there was no way out of it. I'm not a theater type. But anyway, we did this role playing and all this stuff. But conflict coaching is really cool. So what you do is you get the two people together that are in conflict. You explain the goals. You're trying to get to forgiveness, confession and forgiveness and get to peace. You hear them out. You help them understand each other. You see how each of them responds to it. 
If they aren't ready to make peace at that moment, you set up another time. You go, hey, let's pray about it. Let's think about it. I'm going to give you some things to read. We'll come back again a little bit later. While they're apart, you talk to each one of them and you say, hey, did you notice what she, how she kind of acknowledged the, the sin that she did against you? Did you hear that part? Well, I didn't really hear it. No, she did. Did you hear it? Like, if she were to make that more clear and ask for forgiveness, would you, would you forgive her for that? And then, you know, the other person, it's like, hey, did you, did you notice how what she did hurt her? And, you know, you kind of go back and forth. And you, what you're trying to do is prepare them to come back together to confess and uh, receive forgiveness. And I've done it many times, and it's, it's great. It's the way of Jesus. This is what we should do. And those of you guys who are teachers or you manage businesses and stuff, you can use these principles, even in a non-Christian setting, because they're biblical wisdom, and they work. I've used them at work with employees and stuff. It was super helpful. But don't be afraid of conflict in the church. Guys, we have the way of Jesus, you know? So it, when, not if, you have a problem with somebody here, you will have a problem with somebody here. When you do, trust God that he's going to work this through and that we're going to get to a place where we're going to all learn something more about the gospel. So those first two steps don't work and, and help mediate the whole thing. Uh, the next step would be to, to come to pastors. And so pastors would be involved in the next step. So the next step is, is called church discipline. It's in verses 17 through 20. It would take a whole sermon to go into this in a way that would be really adequate. But the, the basic idea is, is that more and more pressure is being exerted on a person that's being unrepentant. And it's a blessing to them. It's a blessing to them for more and more people to say like, you're really out of line. You're really, you know, stepped out of the way of Jesus. You're, you're in a place of disobedience and it can end in even removal from membership in the church. But let me just assure you guys, this would be for very serious sin issues. This would be for life wrecking, family wrecking type, type situations. And it's actually a huge gift. It's something you get with being a part of a church is that you couldn't veer off the road in a crazy way and about to be head right off a cliff and destroy yourself and your family without a whole bunch of people going like, you're about to go off a cliff. <laughs> That's a blessing because you guys all know, like when we get into sin and we clouds our judgment, we think we're right. We have all these excuses and stuff. And it's such a blessing for other believers who aren't in the fog to go like, none of this is right. You know that, right? So it's a blessing. So forgiveness, guys, is the goal of peacemaking. Next one, forgiveness is a promise and a process. Forgiveness is a promise and a process. Did you guys notice on here that when we defined forgiveness, we defined it as four promises. When you say, I forgive you, you're making a promise about what you're going to do in your thoughts and actions moving forward. Forgiveness, when I say, I forgive you, what I'm telling you is that I'm going to move into a process with God. You're saying, I forgive you, I made these promises to you, and now it's between me and God to keep them. So I made promises, I'm trusting God to help me keep. It's between me and God from here on out. You're released from your debt, God and I are going to work this thing out together from here. So true forgiveness, guys, it's a process. It's a painful process. And that's important to say because a lot of people think that they didn't really forgive somebody until they're okay with the sin. Like, I can only forgive you once it doesn't hurt me anymore. It doesn't bother me anymore. Well, forgiveness is when it still hurts. It still hurts. It isn't just that, you know, I can only forgive when I know that somehow I'm going to be able to do this. No, you offer forgiveness when it still hurts and you have no idea how you're going to keep these four promises, but you know that the Holy Spirit will help you keep them. That's what it means to get into uh, the process of forgiveness. And it's painful. You know, all we need to do to think about how painful forgiveness is, is to look at the cross. You know, some people say, 
you know, when they look at the cross, they think like, why couldn't God just forgive us? Why did he have to go through this whole process of death on a cross and all this? Why was all that needed? But you guys know as well as I do that anyone who's forgiven a great sin knows how painful the process is. The cross shows us how painful it is to truly forgive someone. There is no just forgiving. To, to forgive someone's sin is actually to absorb the pain of the sin without dishing it back to them. When you forgive somebody, you are absorbing the pain of that other person's sin without dishing it back to them. That's what God did for us on the cross. He absorbed the pain of our sin without dishing it back to us. And that's what you do when you forgive. It's a reflection of the cross. Tim Keller said it this way. He said, everyone who forgives great evil goes through a death into resurrection and experiences nails, blood, sweat, and tears. And we rely on the Holy Spirit to get us through that. Just like Jesus was born up by the Holy Spirit to be able to bear that process on the cross, the Holy Spirit bears us up as we, you know, forgive and we don't dish back. We don't retaliate and we, it's a painful process. When I make these four promises of forgiveness, I'm not assuming that I have the strength to keep these into the future. I'm assuming that the Holy Spirit will give me the strength to keep these into the future. Yeah, it's a reliance on the Holy Spirit in the weeks and months and years to come. And so forgiveness is a, a painful process and it's a promise. And then lastly, forgiveness is a regifting of the gospel. You know, God gives us strength to forgive by making the gospel more real to our hearts. And we can actually see that in this passage. Look at verse 21. So Peter says, he says, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Let's do seven. You know, and Jesus says, no, I don't say to you seven times, but 77 times. And you can imagine that Peter looked desperate at that situation at that point. And Jesus knows how hard it is to forgive. And so he helps him. And do you notice how he helps him? Just like, let me tell you a little story. I think this story will help you. I can see on your face that you're thinking, I can't forgive this person again. And so I'm going to tell you a little story that will help you. And this story is great because this story actually is going to make the gospel more real to Peter's heart. And that's how he's going to be freed to forgive. So that's what's going on here. Let me read it to you. Verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wishes to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle... One was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and that payment could be made. So the servant fell on his knees and implored him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave his debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. And he seized him. And he began to choke him, saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him and said, have patience with me and I'll pay you. He refused. And he went and he put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summonsed him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, the master delivered him to the jailer until he should pay all the debt. So also will my heavenly father do to each one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. Now this story grips us a little bit, but it doesn't grip us enough because we have to do a little bit of math, okay? There's a slight amount of math here. So this, this first servant, he owes this great debt to his master and it says, how much does it say he owes him? 
A thousand? A thousand talents. Okay, one talent. This is 10,000. Okay, see, we're going to do math. So here we go. 10,000 talents. So a talent, really weird, a talent is equal to 20 years wages. So it's kind of like the, the, you know, the, the professional lifetime income of a person back then, right? So one talent is 20 years wages. So if you do the math, this first servant owes his master 200,000 years wages. Okay, which is kind of bizarre that you would ever loan that kind of money. But um, that's the point, right? It's, it's this insanely large amount, unable to be paid, right? Just like we have this insane debt before God, but Christ has paid it. Next one. Then he comes out and he finds, he got, just got forgiven 200,000 years wages, right? And he comes out and he finds this other servant and this servant owes him 100 denarii. Now, a denarii was one day's wage. So this is not a trivial amount. This is 100 days wages. This is a third of your yearly income. It's a lot, but it's nothing compared to what this guy just got forgiven, right? He just got forgiven 200,000 years wages and, and he won't forgive another guy who owes him 100 days wage, Right? In fact, the master, it's so strange that he would even loan this kind of money. And what Jesus is intending to show here is that there's this much greater debt, the debt of our sin. We have a bigger debt before God, before Christ, than, than anyone has with us, a debt that can never be paid. And when that first servant says to his master, have patience with me and I'll pay you everything, that's delusional. Okay, so you're like, hey, pay me what you owe, the master says. He owes him 200,000 years wages. And he says, you know, have patience with me, I'll pay. Like, put me on a payment plan. That's delusional. It's not an option. It's not going to happen, right? That's an impossible thing. That is what you get at best with religion, though. Religions, most of them basically put you on a payment plan, you know? You owe God 200,000 wages, let's put you on a payment plan. The gospel is different, though, right, guys? The gospel is just like this master he wouldn't put him on a payment plan, no loan modification. He releases him completely from his debt. And that's what you have in Jesus. You don't have a repayment plan. That's the religious way of thinking. You have the free gift of your entire debt being paid by Jesus. And that's why when the first servant refuses to forgive the debt of the second servant, it's so horrifying to everyone. Look at verse 31. It says, they were greatly distressed. Guys, we should be greatly distressed when we see Christians that will not forgive one another. Just like this greatly distressed. Are you greatly distressed by that? Are you greatly distressed when you can't forgive somebody? We should be greatly distressed when we see people that have been spared hell refusing to give forgiveness to each other. And of course, the master gets wind of this and he summons him and says, you wicked servant, I forgave you all your debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I have mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailer until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father do to each one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. And let's not forget, guys, that this story is being told by Jesus to Peter to help him forgive, right? He's like, I can see you're having a hard time with this. You're trying to negotiate down to, to seven. Let me tell you a story that's going to open your heart to want to forgive and that's what it's for. The, the master ordered that unforgiving servant to be sent to prison to pay this. It, that's a picture of hell. I mean, if you're going to debtor's prison to pay 200,000 year wages, that's not going to end. You know, have you guys ever wondered why hell is never ending, right? Like, does that make sense? If live 80 years in sin, don't trust in Jesus, and is an eternity in hell a reasonable punishment for that? And it is, just like in this parable, because there's no way to pay the debt. You have a debt that can't be paid by definition. And the reason why hell's forever is because the debt can never be paid. But there is a person who's claimed to pay the debt, right? There is a person who's claimed to pay the debt, not for himself, 
but for us. And he proved that he was able to pay the debt. He wasn't just some guy claiming to pay the debt. He proved that he was able to pay the debt by being raised from the dead. Okay? Somebody dies, raised from the dead. It says that they really are who they say they are. And when we see the resurrection of Jesus, what we're really seeing is God saying, your debt has been paid. Paid in full. Right? Paid in full. And I just want to ask you guys tonight, have you received this Jesus? It's so simple, actually. All you have to do is ask him for forgiveness. All you have to do is confess your sin, turn from it, and receive this. You just ask him tonight. This isn't complicated. This isn't like, well, I'll get my life straightened out first. It's like, no, there's no repayment plan. This is like a straight canceling of debt. You could have it tonight. You know, as we worship tonight, as we take the Lord's Supper, all it would be is it would be tonight you saying, Lord, I want that. I want that canceled debt. I want to be forgiven. I want to walk out of here scot-free like that first servant did. You know, and it'll be yours. And, you know, we're going to take the Lord's Supper in a little bit. And that's only for Christians. It's only for those who trust that Jesus has done this for them. But you could take it for the first time. You know, you could take it. It's a picture of how free and easy it is to take Jesus. Is that you would go back there, you grab the bread, you grab the cup, and you take it. Nobody charged you anything to go back there. There was no obligation going back there. It was totally freely given, just like Jesus is freely given to you tonight. And you could walk out of here with your entire debt forgiven. No repayment plan, none of that, no earning it back. Have you received Jesus? Receive him tonight if you haven't. And, um, and not only is he going to forgive you, but he, you're going to enter a new relationship with God where he's going to make you able to forgive people. What a blessing that is. What a blessing it is for the gospel to free your heart so you can actually forgive people. So you don't have to live in bitterness and resentment the rest of your life. The point of this story, guys, is not that you can lose your salvation by not forgiving people. The point of this story is that our willingness to forgive other people shows us how much we have really been rocked by the truth of the gospel. Like, have we ever experienced the exhilarating rush of being hopelessly in debt and then totally justified before God? If you've experienced that, you'll be able to forgive others. It's a process. It's a promise. It's not instant, maybe. You might need some help doing it, but it can be done. And that's why Jesus requires us to forgive others, because, because it's the way we're saved ourselves. If you were saved by a payment plan, then you could require that of other people. You could say, hey, bro, I forgive you, but there's some things you got to do over a certain amount of time, and then you'll really get it, right? You could do that if that's the way you were saved. If you were saved by a payment plan, then you, you could do that. If you were saved by your debt being totally canceled, though, then that's what you have to give to other people. And so if you're a Christian tonight, you've been set free to do this. This might be something that's going to take some, some time to, to live in, but you've been set free to be able to forgive other people. C.S. Lewis said this, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Isn't that beautiful? To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. And the, what we get to do now is we, need to, we get to re-gift that canceled debt. We get to be the kind of people, this is so cool. So we can be in this culture that's becoming more vengeful, it seems, more resentful, more bitter. And we can be the people that get to declare the year of Jubilee. But you can have your sins forgiven in Jesus, and you can have your sins forgiven towards me too. Isn't that cool? There's free grace here. You have free grace from Jesus, and you can have free grace from me. We get to do that. How cool is it that we get to do that? You get to bring that kind of good news into the world. Let's pray. Father, we uh, thank you for what the table signifies. 
your son's broken body and his shed blood. And Lord, we just, I pray for all the people here that their consciences just are not, not clear yet. Lord, if there's a sin that needs to be confessed, we pray that they would confess it and just feel the, the forgiveness that's theirs in Jesus. And we pray, Lord, for those who have repented of their sin and confessed it, but don't feel clean. We just pray, Lord, as they take the Lord's Supper tonight, that they would just feel the truth of the gospel as they take that bread and they crush it with their teeth, that they would remember that Jesus himself was crushed for their sin. And that as that bread just dissolves out of their mouth, we pray, Lord, that they would just realize that their sin is something you remember no more. And as they take the cup and as they drink it, Lord, that they would remember the blood of Jesus that has washed away all their sin. That Though our sins were like scarlet, we are whiter than snow. And pray, Lord, that all your people would walk out of here feeling the full exhilarating rush of just knowing that they're fully forgiven. And we pray, Lord, for anyone that's here that hasn't trusted in your son, Jesus. We pray, Lord, that they wouldn't go away without doing that, that somehow in worship and in the taking communion this time tonight, Lord, that you would cause their hearts to be born again, to come alive, to beat with love for Jesus. And we pray, Lord, that though they came in spiritually dead, they would leave spiritually alive. That's a work only you can do. And we thank you for doing it with us, and we pray that you do it with all around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.